Hello and welcome to Setting the Stage, episode 24, Colonel and the Final Lands. We are looking for more people to interview, so if you're a DM or you know a DM that might be interested in coming on the show, you can check out more about how to apply at www.gocorral.com STS. And without any further ado, let's get into the show. Uh, hi, I'm here today with uh, Colonel, who's going to tell us about his D&D campaign. Um, but we always want to talk a little about who you are outside of D&D first, so you want to give us a little, little bit of details about that? Yeah, I'm uh, 31, uh, graduated with a degree in social work, um, but now I kind of just focus on, I focus on like DMing for my friends, I have a very active guild community. Mm-hmm. Do you DM uh, like professionally? Is that what you meant by like moving out of social work? Doing uh, no, it's the the social work was it's a very rough job to do. It's very uh, emotionally draining. Oh yeah, definitely. I've been DMing for uh, almost twenty years now. Started in uh, third edi- or three point five. Uh, I got my first D and D product for I think it was Easter of two thousand four. It was a D and D three point five starter set. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I remember reading it and like looking at all the pre-made characters, and I was like, this character, uh, specifically the warrior character, the the human warrior with like the the great sword and stuff. I was like, this would be really cool if I could just change him just a little bit. And so then I mm-hmm. got the books, and I would read. Re- I would the only one of my friends boring enough to read the books. This was third edition, three point five. Yeah. Okay. Sadly, I don't. I don't think I was uh, really reading much when third edition was out and, and popular. Ah, well, I, I don't really see a difference between 3rd edition and 3.5, to be honest. I've honestly never even read any of the old uh, materials for 3. There was very limited changes. Like, you could probably list the top 5, and that would cover most of it. But So I have this, like, personal interest in D&D, where, like, I was reading the books and trying to uh, set up campaigns with my friends, but they were all like, oh, this is, it's nerd stuff. This is too, you know, mm-hmm. too much math. They would look at it like, oh, we have to roll dice and add them up. Too much math. Uh, yeah. But my dad was an engineer at the time, and he had lots of nerdy friends at his workplace. So one of his uh, mm-hmm. work friends uh, took me and him, me and my dad, and sat us down and taught us to play D&D and walked us through a session or two. And that like really sparked my interest in not just playing D&D, but being the one to like lay out this experience and like let people explore whatever they want to do in the game through the setting that I'm essentially acting like a human processor for right yep so like uh i would go i went back to my friends in school and basically convinced them all to play and uh that that's a a very routine thing with me where i will meet new people and within a few months we'll be rolling up some characters for a a goofy session and then after a few goofy sessions it gets kind of serious and we we break into a a a real storyline and i've i've introduced dozens of people to D D that way so you started off as DM, is that mm-hmm. right? I was DM from almost day one. I'm guessing you must have done some playing. Yeah. Um, but you're primarily still a DM, I'm mm-hmm. guessing, from what you're, you're saying. Yeah, I'm I'm still a, a DM mostly. Uh, in the current series of campaigns that I run with my guild, there's multiple DMs, and I will occasionally uh, ask to be a player <laughs> in those. But uh-huh. I'm the gotcha. I'm the most active DM and host the most sessions, so. Like they might host a session once every three or four months, and I'll try to sneak it my PC into that. But other than that, I'm the one organizing things. 
Okay. She said it's a guild, so is this like a made up of a group of people yeah. that you've met over the years? Yeah, this or is, is a, it like online it's folks? It's online folks. Um, focus on the upcoming MMO, Ashes of Creation. Uh, we use that uh, setting for a lot of campaigns and stories that we're kind of expanding on our guild history before the game comes out. Mm -hmm. So when when the game does come out, we have all this this lore backing up why we do X, Y, and Z, why our traditions are this way, why are the roles named the way they are, and we have all that. We've players have acted it out over over months and years in the past. Yeah, pretty cool. Is that something where like you can work with the creators of Ashes of Creation to like get that guild into the game, uh, or is this all just like your we, own stuff that you're gonna? We have, have a very large presence in the official like. Uh, Ashes community, and we have a lot of our art. Like almost half of the art in like the pre-scroll for the cam for the uh, streams is stuff we've commissioned for our campaigns. Wow. Okay. But um, this is all like pre-history for the whatever happens in the game. Like mm -hmm. it's right, all right. you know before anything that's actually going to happen in world is is even exists. So this is all just lore and backstory for our own sake more than anything. Right, and it's because we are we want to be invested, and when we go into the actual game, we want to have that that backing of real history because we actually spent years playing these games. Right, right. Yeah, I read a little bit about the the MMO when you you talked about it in the survey, and yeah, it it sounds pretty interesting, and having that kind of investment into it makes it a much more like compelling world compared to like World of Warcraft, where you can ignore the lore and probably still do fine with whatever you want to do yeah, uh the lead uh designer uh steven uh based the entire game off of a pathfinder campaign that he he ran oh, yeah, multiple cool. areas in the in the campaign world are um, in the game are named after places in his campaign like the tabletop mountains and stuff like that the tabletop mountains yes. giant uh very <laughs> very high plateaus uh-huh i i i can sort of see why you would name it that like in universe but it definitely feels like a tongue-in-cheek joke um but all right yeah every year um the ashes team have this uh it's usually around christmas it's like a big celebration stream where they will get on and and uh run a i think it's usually a pathfinder campaign in the setting and have and like announce new lore things through that okay that's cool so this is kind of like Living Greyhawk was what they called it for third edition, but as a as an MMO at this point, and then eventually like all these different groups are going to combine everything for the lore in the, the universe. Is that right? Uh, not quite. They have their own like set storyline, like what's officially happened, but there's always room in there for micro stories, which compared to okay. like the narrative of like you know gods doing stuff and you know destroying the world, what the the little wars our guild fights are are very micro in comparison. Well, yeah, that's pretty cool. You mentioned this in the survey and like the little email chat we had um, about wanting to more focus on your personal world instead of the Ashes of Creation stuff. Yeah. Let me get my notes up because I, I got uh, I use this thing called Campfire to organize all my D and D notes. It's really good. Like I've written more uh, for my latest campaign than I ever have in like other physical notes or that kind of thing with with this mm -hmm. program, especially because like it links between mobile and desktop and as many devices as you want to uh you know, put on there so yeah yeah that's pretty cool do your writing wherever you are mm -hmm. just write write a few sentences when you're in the restroom yeah yeah i've done the same thing for mine but with um my my blog app instead mm -hmm. or just the notes app on my phone that works good too yeah i used to use like this samsung notes app but stop using mm -hmm. samsung 
you know, phones and those notes are kind of hard to get. Yeah. Whenever I was doing that, I always had to transfer it to something else um, later. <laughs> it's just, I used the Google docs for the longest because I could do that kind of mm-hmm. same thing where I could open it in my mobile device and, and type and then come back and like edit it on my, my desktop. Yeah. Yeah. I probably should do that. I just have my campaign drive is shared with my players. So if I'm doing like a DM stuff, I want it to not be shared. I probably could set up the drive where that would be fine, but yeah, there's, you can have like have. permissions in the, in the drive where you can have like folders that only you can see. Right. Yeah. Just never bothered. All right. Let me actually look how many words I have written in this campaign. Cause it'll tell me like on the dashboard, how many, how many words and hours I've actually put into this project. Uh, 146,000 words. 456 hours, 273 individual elements. That That's a lot. Mm-hmm. That's cool. Campfire does that. Yeah. It's kind of like how Wikipedia does that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, neat. I'm sure a lot of DMs have similar numbers, but being able to actually track it is pretty cool. Oh, yeah. It's it's like a little dashboard and everything. Got like a most recent, uh, most recent edits. You can pin like important notes. Yeah. As we have like players come in and out of the guild, like their their stories kind of come and go into the uh, into the campaign too. So we have I think thirty players player sheets in the guild, mm-hmm. but uh, only about twelve to fifteen active. We like come right, to yeah. come to every session basically and try to get their their self known. Okay, cool, cool. So even with that many active players, are you doing like two or three sessions a week, or what's the? Uh, I tried to get the frequency. I try to get one session every two weeks, and that usually okay. has uh, between like three and five people. And okay. uh, one of my favorite things to do after a session is I have a really big narrative write-up where I essentially recap the entire plot and actions of the whatever happened that session. Let's say they go and take out an orc camp. I write like a little narrative how what happened and then i post it so everyone who didn't show up and didn't read or even doesn't care can go back and Mm -hmm. read oh this date they had this session where they did this next day this session did this and they all like you could essentially like make a line from the beginning of the campaign to the very end okay yeah that's um yeah i I do that kind of thing too but it's usually for like the the one person that missed not the 25 (laughs) Well, there's a lot of people who just, they're like, oh, I have no interest or no time to play D&D, but they care so much about the mm-hmm. lore. And I'm like, well, you'd want to know that we named this role this because this person did this cool thing. Yeah, and I imagine there's some people that are um, interested in eventually just being part of the MMO and wanting to follow along for that. Mm-hmm. Or, like you said, maybe just enjoying it kind of in the same way that people enjoy this podcast. I was never uh, really into role-playing in an MMO. I'd never done it before. Um but this group kind of got me into that and how how the regular D&D principles just tra- can transfer really well as long as you can type and act things out. Then all the other stats and everything still track and will will translate essentially the same to whatever you're doing. So you just have a visual representation of whatever you're doing in the MMO. Right. It's a little, it's a little wonky sometimes, but there's a lot of people who really enjoy it, and they can't get into it if they're looking at a, a drawn map on Roll20. Yeah, yeah. It's definitely can be more visceral with that experience. Moving on to, to my campaign world. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, yeah, what is what is your campaign world called? So it uh, the actual the actual landmass that most of the campaign takes on doesn't have a real name. They, the people living there don't name it. They don't really care. 
but I call it the final lands because it essentially comes from a world where every other habitable part of the world has been consumed by some kind of catastrophe, forcing all okay. the different races to come to this, this island no bigger than like um, England or Ireland, like a very compact island that's pretty pretty okay. dense with stuff. All the races have their own like, oh, this is our tragedy that brought us. You know, the dwarves survived a flood, dug dug tunnels uh, through the mountains, and ended up in the World's Teeth Mountains, where they live in the the most desolate part of the island. Uh, the the orcs are very religious, and they believe that the gods ordered them to to flee to this island and bring others as well. Uh, the elves think they're being persecuted and have uh, followed a, a very fanatical king all the way to this island and have set up their own like dynasty. Okay. The island I have divided into uh, four or five equal parts, basically. There's the, the north, the south, the east, the west, and the center. Uh, the center is the most important part of the island. It's a, a very desolate wasteland that actually is hostile to most forms of life. Being in the wasteland kind of like drains your life force, and you just lose okay. the will to live the longer you're there. So like no one settles there and when the party goes into this area they have a limited amount of time to do something before they have to either retreat or suffer serious consequences right uh, all the in the center of the the island is the forge of soul which is like a dark crystal tower that's risen out of the ground and has always been there as far as the people of the island know and um every two years this massive comet larger than the moon like passes over the sky to signal the beginning of the trials and the uh all the individual communities or uh nations uh send parties to try to reach the the top of the tower and like get the favor of the gods so they can prosper in the next two years before the the next uh event okay all right so it's just a single like kind of circular oval continent is there any like interesting roughly circular geography to uh the north is very mountainous uh, called the World's Teeth Mountains. The very far east is a uh, red desert called the Burning Plains. It's very, uh, very unforgiving and populated with a lot of uh, fierce beasts. There's only like one oasis in the middle of the Burning Plains where all these tribes gather around and like trade and stuff. It's funny you talked about all these people that like came here from other disasters, and that doesn't sound like this place is that great to be. Well, either. like the, the uh, outside of the island, the sea literally boils, so people can't like. Oof. There's not a lot of uh, the only part of the island has like any kind of naval travel is the south called Freeport, which is where the the humans uh, kind of gathered and um, created the city of Freeport in the on the Liberty Delta, uh, where they all. They're escaping from like persecution at the hands of other races and are very, like it's essentially like a libertarian Bitcoin compound they formed, where ev okay. everything is contracts. You you can sign a contract with another person to do anything. They're very trade focused, so they're the only kind of people who even bother to sail the seas, and they can't sail out very far because the sea boils. There's sea dragons, which patrol the of the coast. Freeport's probably the most detailed area i have of the campaign map because that's where a lot of my parties have spent the most of their time uh towards the east is like this massive forest called the starlight forest where uh the uh -huh. elves have taken kind of refuge uh there's also like some plains to the 
like the northeast and northwest where several mixed villages kind of live that have their own little stories like in the very northeast okay. of the continent um or not continent island there's a, a, a pilgrimage site called the end of the world where that's where the orcs first landed when they came from their disaster and a contingent of priests have like stayed to like essentially pray for the the world outside the island and when my when my party goes there that's how they learn that's the most place where they like oh here's we'll tell you the history of the world before we all get to the island it all sucked and stuff so uh, mm. the other places are they don't care as much about outside of the island they're like i'm on this island and we're going to get to the soul forge and we're going to get our wish granted um because that's when they're gonna give when the party gets to the top of the tower, they are essentially granted a wish. Uh, there's okay because this event in in lore has run for so many times before. There's a history of like past winners. So there's oh cool. There's a warlord called Thomas Blade. He uh, was one of the first people to win the um, to take a group to the top of the tower and and get a wish. He essentially wished immortality for himself. And it's, okay. but it's not like a true immortality. It's more like a non-aging kind of thing, where he can still okay. be yeah. killed. He just can't die naturally. So now he controls Blades Mercenaries, which are, which is like a group that he sends out to essentially get him money and like bring people back that he recruits into something he calls the Band of Bastards, which is a group that tries every time there's this. Um, world event where you get to the top of the tower and get a wish he sends a group to try to take it for him and wish for stuff for him mm -hmm. and the so in the story the party that um i played with they are one of the groups from one nation or another depending on like what races everybody picks and what stories they kind of go with i'm like okay your group starts here and one of their first objectives is to either become the like official champions of wherever they're coming from or to find a reason compelling enough to make their group go to the tower. So like this the story all came about because mm -hmm. I was my group of friends who I had at the time, we had all been playing uh it was about 2014 and we had all been playing some specific games that made us want to um not just play D&D but have a kind of free-for-all story like so we uh, we all played games like planescape torment um uh -huh. yeah yeah that's a good divinity one. original sin also good so they were like this game is cool and i'm like guys this game is just D D. we could just play D D. they're like no way D D can do this you can murder a whole village in D &D? i'm like i guess if you if that's what you choose so we we uh after about two sessions we stopped using a, a free XP or a you know enemy XP and I'm like okay you're only leveling up on milestones now because okay. they they uh they were like oh yeah we helped escort these people we can kill him and get the XP he's an orc that gives X amount of XP like oh, well not in, well not in this not in this game buckaroo <laughs> <laughs> oh boy yeah that's uh. Another reason that 4E was very popular at the time, because it was the first time there had been, like, an online portal to, like, you could build a character in five minutes in this online portal for D&D &D 4E. I think it, it was D&D &D Next, or, D, or it was, like, the whatever was before D&D &D Beyond. 
those little subscription things. So that's how we made our characters and could get mm-hmm. people into it so fast. And then like the video game aspect of like the cards that you got, like all your skills are represented in like some card or or ability name. Was it called Insider? I'm trying to remember the name I, too. I think it was Next. Yeah, that might have been it. Okay, well, whatever. Yeah, yeah, the cards were were a pretty sweet system. It was just, when someone when you translate like it directly translated from video games, so that's why I was like, this is really good to just hook people in with. This is very simple; they can get it. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep. It's it's, uh, it's very similar to like the cooldown uh, ability aspects in World of Warcraft. Yeah, so that's how I uh, I roped these people into playing games with me. It's like my cousin, some friends. Yeah, that's it's just a video game, but you get to to jump when you don't get to jump in the other game. Yeah. Yeah, that was one that always frustrated me when I was um that I I felt like it was like a good addition because like the you know there's this like meme of Fallout where there's a door that has like a master lock on it, but the window is broken, so it's like how can I not just get into this room? The window is broken, but the game says you can't. That's why. Yeah. Okay, uh, so there's like this big contest where everyone gets to, to make a wish if they win. Um, so that's why a bunch of people enter the contest is because they get a wish. And mm-hmm. um, are there really any limits on that wish? Like, could you wish to like be a god there's, or to there's some you know, make the sea not boiling? There are some limits, but a lot of the people who get there, um, who get the wish, are trying are sent specifically by these uh, nations to like help my nation. You know. The elves want this part, this parcel of land, and I've been promised X, Y, and Z if I get it. So I'm gonna go win the. All of them don't. They don't know that it's an actual wish. They just think it's the favor of the gods. But in the end, it's essentially mm. just cashed wish, wish on you, and you get, you get what you wish for. But the the point is, they want it for their their nation, their town, or whatever to expand, to do better. Um, you know, the warlord wants it to you know improve his life. Right. But my party, like they essentially like got wind that it was a wish, and they they were going to wish to like stop the contest. And I was like, that could be that could be interesting if they actually got there. But I I made sure to throw up a lot of road signs that uh, essentially encouraged them gently to change. Okay. So you talked in your survey about how the the races are kind of like traditional. Um, is there anything? More about that, like dwarves in the mountains, elves in the forest. Uh, kind of the thing. only thing that kind of separates from tradition, uh, according to like natural D and D thing, is like orcs are not as as violent and um, kind of selfish as uh, in classic D and D. These orcs are more mm-hmm. like uh, pilt, like druids, and uh, very in touch with like the land and honor and like family and stuff. And they kind of like mm-hmm. do their own thing, and they're very distrustful of other people because they've been hurt so many times. I see. But um, there's I have multiple factions of like humans and elves. Like so, there's the elves, uh, the royal elves who live in the Starlight Forest. They're very uptight, pompous, classic high elves. But there is a another forest that was actually um, made through a wish at the the tower called the Bohemian Grove. It is a slightly more mystical forest with a lot of psychoactive plants and um kind of dangerous creatures where the the elves who live there are kind of like um i don't know like a like a hippie woodstock woodstock type who kind of like commune with the forest and like this forest is everything we need dog yeah man i had a character come from the the bohemian grove and he was a bit of a 
an interesting aspect. Always looking for a some kind of how do I put this? They're very um, pleasure seeking, so they always want like the best food, the best drink. Epicurean. That's... Epicurean. Yeah, there we go. My my world takes uh, some influences from well, specifically like uh, Warhammer, Warhammer Fantasy, uh-huh. and like Final Fantasy fourteen, like with the, how okay. how some of the elements and the gods work. Okay. So like they're very much like essentially not like corrupted elves, but like really um, out of touch, kind of selfish, haughty, uh, always seeking the best of everything, perfectionists. And they they don't gotcha. they don't even send people usually to the the contest anymore because their forest is everything they need. Oh, oh, yeah. I guess that makes sense. Yeah. So there's the the libertarian humans in the in the Freeport uh, South section of the the island, but in the Burning Plateau where there's this desert uh, and a single oasis called Mundian, there are there's like um, nomadic. Uh, kind of like Arabic, Sephardic uh, type of humans who have these caravans that go around and like collect all the rare spices. The The desert is red because it has iron oxide in the, in the, in the sand. Right. So they, they have these giant like wagon trowels that like scoop up sand and they process it into special iron that they use. And the only like fixed city is the one around uh, the oasis. You said Sephardic. Do you mean like Safari? No, it's um Israeli-Palestinian kind of um North okay. North Arab type of what's it called? This is what that area is called. It's called like Sephardic areas. All right, all right. Uh, and the the gods. I understood that was kind of a complex situation for your world. It, Do you want to get into that? It is because uh, in the world that most of the campaign takes place on. The gods are just belief. They have no, you know, there's no like this. Go- this is the god, and here's what, he, you know, what he truly stands for. They're all like, oh, this group kind of believes this. This group believes this. There are some like massive overlaps. Like, I have a lot of the ones that specifically overlap written down. So like, uh, the big one is like the god of the moon and the sun. His name is Luminous. Uh, it's the same god who's on both. That he represents both. He's like the god of the the sun. His eye, his open eye is the sun. That like the eye of luminous is upon you when the sun is out, and that the moon is his ass if he's mooning you. That's, oh, wow. that's kind of like the the joke. And uh, the god of war, I have specifically named Moore, uh, because that's the okay. only thing he says to his worshippers is more. Or or nothing, I suppose, if they're asking the wrong question. Yeah. Like here's here's the skulls, God of War. More. More. Here's some flowers, and then he just doesn't say anything. Yeah. I don't think he responds well to flowers. It's usually uh, people stabbing each other. Uh, I have Rom, the god of truth, justice, and freedom. He's primarily worshipped in Freeport. And uh, the god Jubal, who's the god of festivals and wine. He's mostly worshipped by everybody. But uh, the the more specific okay. gods are like Grand Lord Orion, who was the first elf king. He founded like his dynasty in the Starlight Forest, and now he essentially forces all the elves who live there to acknowledge uh, his lineage as divine. So it's not any kind of real god with power, but they they call him the god. Okay, that's a that's a pretty complete uh, list there. 
Yeah, one of the things that you'd mentioned was like all these different races came together on the the final lands because of these apocalypses everywhere else. Mm-hmm. Um, is there some sort of guiding story for why that's happening? Yeah, gods involved. Yeah, that that's part of the uh, the second half of the campaign, which uh, after we finish describing this this continent, uh, I'll get into because it, it's a it's a major non sequitur compared to everything else. Okay. Then yeah, the, let's get into the the campaign events. Then you said you've run it twice, is that mm-hmm. right? Twice to what I would consider the end, where like there's nothing more they could do, and the third time that I was trying to start when uh, the camp when I sent that email uh, fell apart after like two sessions. Hmm. Okay, gotcha. But um, so the first group came out of Freeport and they immediately fought to become like champions of this town. There was like a uh, a human cleric, dwarf monk, and elf wizard? A wizard or sorcerer? One of the, just a magic class. It was the only class that was a not martial. And they uh, sought to get the permission from the Council of Burgers, which is the, the essentially the, the Congress of Freeport. Everyone gets together and votes. Mm. They did a few, like, I want to call them like fetch quests, but they were essentially just go here, kill something, bring bring it back to get to get like the the theme of what I was trying to go for down because like they right, weren't right. they were trying to have it be specific like a like a divinity campaign where they were going to do something and then kill the people who asked to get extra XP. And I was like not working. We're doing something else. So they got the divine quote unquote divine right to go quest for the tower. And okay, and try to get there. Um, they it's very impossible. Like so, um, every so it's an island with the tower in the center. Every nation you think just oh just go straight to the center, really easy, right? Well, the the, mm, the center yeah. is the wasteland that uh, literally drains your life, and is also populated by dragons. Um, one of the major things that I have in my campaign is dragonborn uh, are not a race that live outside of. The wasteland. The only dragonborn and kobolds live in the wasteland under uh, the rule of these dragons. Okay, are they uh, affected by that life draining thing? No, you were no, talking they're about? like they they live in like the the shadow of the dragons and they're fine. Okay, gotcha. The the dra- each dragon uh, has its own like loyalty, so like they're not the dragons are fighting each other. So like the like the blue and the black dragon are fighting. Uh, the white dragon stays out of things. The gold dragon, you know tries and hoard as much gold as possible. Um, the, each dragon also like has a skill that like it teaches to its followers. And so uh, specifically, these dragonborn can get really, really impressive powers. Uh, and even humans, after they train under the dragons, can get these powers that I call like the breath of the dragon, the claw of the dragon, that like improves their physical ability in ways that seem magical. Okay. But it's it, it was essentially like just an, an anime excuse to give people, you know, the power to recover from wounds and and you know punch boulders and stuff. Okay, but I mean it's supported by the like D and D, you know, splat books too. Mm-hmm. Like there's tons of ones that are about like dragons granting you power and getting stronger that way. Mm-hmm. But uh, the dragons all defend like kind of they don't defend the tower inherently. It's just that the center of where they live. So to get to the tower, you at least have to 
fight and challenge a dragon. I was not going to let them reach the doors without confronting a dragon in some way. Um, so um, the first group where they have the human cleric, uh, he got captured about halfway through uh, by Blade's mercenaries, and they were going to, because he was very strong, they were going to uh, in, involve him in the in the band of bastards and make him like fight for Thomas Blade. Well, he uh, became very quote unquote traumatized and angry that like he was enslaved and like his his family and stuff were being attacked. So he became he became a paladin after being a cleric for two levels. He uh, he uh, he didn't multi class. I let him completely remake into paladin. And he became one of the driving forces for the campaign as a very like moral center, and where he his character had like this mission that he was going to accomplish to like free people from uh, bad influences and like uh, subjugation at the hands of others. So like extremely early on in the campaign, the group was like flagged down by this old man, and they were all handed these rocks that were relics that uh. They glowed a specific color, and they would like pull toward each other. So if they got separated, they could find each other. And uh, okay. these rocks were important for the the latter half of the campaign, as they kept them all the way till they went to the tower. Uh, as they got to the tower, uh, they had teamed up with a wounded dragon, the Azure Dragon. They had teamed up with him to fight the the Black Dragon. Oh, they're like specific names, mm -hmm. not like just a, a whole bunch. They they have like. So they have a color, and then they have like a color or material dragon, and then they have like a a true name that gives them power. Mm -hmm. uh, so the the azure dragon was fighting. Uh, he was like wounded, and they found him like on the outskirts of the wasteland. Uh, was like, you know, what's wrong? Uh, I'm being oppressed by, <laughs> I'm being oppressed by other dragons. Oh, let us help you. They healed him and then rode him into battle, essentially. Um, which got the paladin killed. The first player kill I ever had, he essentially dropped onto the back of the dragon, and the dragon kind of um, like fell over and crushed him. Okay. So this was maybe three sessions from what I would call like the end of the campaign, and his character completely kill was killed, and uh, I was like, okay, well we can we can work around this. You know, this event happens every two years. So uh, we kind of rewrote his backstory where he had a son who was essentially the same character, and the whole party came back two years later and started the exact same spot. Of course. All right. So they didn't kill the dragon. They only wounded it and made it flee, but that let them get into the tower and solve a few punishments. Uh, I call them punishments because they were uh, very cruel puzzles. But they get to the, the top of the tower and prepare to make their wish. They step into the light, and the uh, the rocks they had been given by the old man like start to, to glow really strongly and kind of short-circuit the ritual. Suddenly, where these, they were in the light at the top of a crystal tower, they emerge onto what looks like uh, an alien starship full of strange devices and giant spindly like translucent creatures and they mm -hmm. they look and they're all standing around this dais which has like this orb in the center and in the orb okay. they can see their world with the uh the island right at the top 
they immediately ask like, what's going on and the the alien comes and like speaks to them like in their minds and is like you're not supposed to be here uh you escaped your containment uh they ask what the containment is for the or these beings are called the first and they are uh created they're essentially like godlike beings with like infinite creative potential but they needed like technology in order to survive like the dimension they were in so they created mm -hmm. like technology powered by the essentially the worship and belief of humans or not humans like humanoid creatures okay. so they have essentially like worlds in bottles like as batteries for like spaceships and lasers and you know, air conditioning and stuff my battery is leaking. Mm -hmm. So like they they're like, what the heck? Why did you get out of your battery? And they they take a second and explain what's going on, and uh, the paladin immediately goes, "This is slavery on a worldwide scale. Smash destroys the orb." And uh, at, at first I was like, "Okay, well you're gonna team up and you're gonna you know do something." And there's a whole other storyline here. And he's like, "Okay, well now you're at war." Like, uh, and I went through the rest of the campaign where essentially. Uh, this party was like uh, the xenomorph in in Aliens, where they went around like not liberating worlds, but like destroying <laughs> the infrastructure of these people. Right. And ended with them going to like this sanctuary where uh, all the the major beings of the first live, and destroying the the battery that essentially powered their entire entire civilization. And I was like, all right, the lights go off and the world is over. You destroyed reality. Yeah, I feel like that's not so much like ending slavery. You're just, yeah, killing everybody. But that—that's kind of how it was. Like that's how it was in his mind. So um, the second campaign with a, I think it was only like one different person went a little better. Well, when they finally got to that part, they actually tried to solve the issues that the first were having. Uh, the first are beings created by a, a singular god entity who gave them all this creative power. And then while the the beings were, you know, looking down, creating the world that God had told them to create, he, he disappeared. And the first were left to kind of organize everything themselves. So they organized into several groups. There's the alphas who try to um, bring God back through like worship and creation of entities with souls who will worship in turn. So, like, the reason they have gods in the little worlds in the bottles is because the first want their their god back, their father. Oh, okay. There's, gotcha. I was going to ask about that. Mm -hmm. There's uh, the betas, who, who are essentially... I, I named them all kind of tongue-in-cheek. There's the betas, who kind of, like, are subservient to the alphas and want to uh, help them in any way they can. There's the omegas, who want to kind of end the cycle. And then there's uh, Gammas who kind of do their own thing. And I, this was before Sigma Male, unfortunately, or I would have named some of them Sigmas. Okay. Well, I mean, I guess my question for that aspect of the campaign is uh, how do they make it possible for someone to escape the simulation? That feels like something uh, that, that's what those... like the programmers should have complete control over. Yeah, um, so there's the only other force besides the first in the primordial dimension are these things called nulls. They are um, essentially areas of blank space where nothing can exist. And uh, the old man who gave the party those those uh, stones that let them break the simulation was uh, a being of the Null. 
and that was sent into the simulation to try to essentially mess with uh mess with how it goes and this is happening like essentially on every civilization but they were the first one to succeed and uh the the other major thing about the first is that they have no capacity for violence they cannot cast any kind of offensive magic they can't punch kick or hit each other the only first who have ever died were consumed by nulls where they're like their okay. their being was like di- dissolved in like this area of like essentially forced blankness interesting mm-hmm. it's like so they don't they're like oh the null is just like this phenomenon but they're really like beings that have uh, a desire to like essentially wipe out everything that currently is and make everything blank so the knoll was in okay. influencing the the party to leave the sphere and then to not um kill it not to kill everyone like the first party did but to mm-hmm. uh, assist the first in one of their aspects of either bringing back god or destroying god so the second party ended up like teaming up with the omegas as they had a plan to subvert the power of all the orbs that was uh, powering things that were going to let all the people free which is much more okay. of a way to re- essentially end the use of these orbs as like power and like the subjugation of you know soul bearing species they were going to uh, essentially like remove them all from the grid without destroying them and and okay. the, the reason god had left was because the first had gotten uh too cocky and had developed species that could worship them back like and that's that's the the theory of why things went wrong and that's what uh, the omegas wanted to kind of correct okay that makes sense for how they were able to escape then sort of sabotage i guess would be one way of looking mm-hmm. at it so what were the nulls thinking the like alternate power source would be for their their nation uh, was there a idea there uh, no, they thought that if they got rid of the the what they they called it enslavement, just because I wanted to make that that line work. If they got rid of the enslavement, that God would be happy and come back. Oh, okay. And that he left because he was upset that they made these beings that worship them in return. Okay, now I understand. Sorry, I yeah. was not, not quite getting it before. It's like okay. a golden cow kind of thing. Right. Yeah, can't can't have that false idol. Mm-hmm. And so I had uh, they they essentially introduced how to <laughs> what murder was, and I had to explain what what killing someone was like because they were all very oh confused. yeah because they're nonviolent mm-hmm. okay so these these firsts are kind of like almost like angels and that they're like yeah they're uh, I mean I guess biblical angels do understand violence but like a, a perfect being that mm-hmm. doesn't even understand that concept yeah and they have they don't have like a set physical appearance they have the power of like ultimate creation so they all look vastly different and like even if they're like big hulked out alien monstrosities they don't they don't have the need to like everything they don't eat they don't really do anything else they just kind of exist and create and as long as there are beings out there that see them as their creator then they're good Uh, so you you ran the campaign twice was there any difference like in the initial part before they got to the soul forge uh, yeah the second party started as uh two uh, two dwarves and a human in the uh, dwarf settlement, uh, which is called the Last Hold, where the dwarves of Brieger uh, hide and they kind of are very isolated. They they have sealed their gates permanently, so the only way to get in to the to the hold is to be taken through a secret door by a dwarf. 
uh, I kind of went with the whole Tolkien thing where like dwarves are like dwarf doors are invisible. They have these massive underway tunnels that they kind of go where they right. need to go and they're kind of exclusionary to everyone else. Uh, in, in okay. there's all these kind of like goblin and like orc and human tribes living in the mountains above. So they're like, yeah, we don't want any of that. They're super exclusionary. And, uh, the campaign started by the two dwarves on patrol finding like a wounded human and like oh we should really take him back to help to heal him guys this would be so cruel if we just let him out here to die but the the dwarf the leaders of the clan were like how dare you bring a human in here gasp you're you're all banished yeah and so like well if we're banished i guess we'll go adventure and then as they were adventuring the event started and uh the trial started and they were like well we can right they they ended up going to freeport as well and becoming the champions of there because that's by far the most <laughs> expanded city i have um they in this is where um some of the differences in the campaigns came because like the first campaign um had a very powerful wizard who was kind of like i didn't like the character i made for him he was very aloof and kind of goofy um, but the second time I gave the wizard a, a dwarf companion who was like this master engineer who um, built like a clockwork castle that flew above the city. Uh, they also named him Riker the wizard because he was like a very, he was a very sexy wizard who uh, would like a, be like a, he was a celebrity in the town. Course. And like every two weeks the, he would come down from the castle uh, to like attend the, the council meetings and stuff. And like all the women were like, Oh, Oh, I, uh, there's that one record uh, it's from, uh, I think avatar, the last airbender where the guy who like screams and foams at the mouth and passes uh, out. I would play that clip yeah, every time record, yes. uh, was introduced. I think he's even like in the credits <laughs> as like foaming at the they mouth. Knew what they were doing. Yep. I also had a fishmonger who got, uh, who got his fish destroyed over time and was like my fish. Oh, no, well, that fish. happened at least twice. I remember. But uh, they get to this clockwork castle, and uh, the the council of of burgers are like, "Oh, we don't want to send you guys to. Um, you're not from here. We're not going to send you to go be our champions. We have the dwarf uh, in the clockwork castle. He's building an army of golems, and he's going to protect us, no problem. And so they're like, "Well, we have." To... <laughs> the party came up with the idea of they were going to. Not frame, but kind of like slander the dwarf to make everybody think he was a bad guy, because they had like information that he was like secretly using okay. the golems to like protect the wizard and not like the town itself. So they tried to essentially undermine his position and got some very powerful relics from the wizard that they then took to um took to the the cat the tower, which was very very interesting. They got this. They got this shield that um, actually it, uh, it was a shield of negative eight uh, armor class. It had negative two AC. If you took if you took a hit with the shield, huh. oh, the shield also gave them uh, bludgeoning, slashing, resistance, and stuff. It dealt half the it dealt the resistance damage okay. back to uh, whatever enemy hit them. Okay, so it makes Reflects it easier damage. to be hit, but it has. Okay. It was, it was a, right. I was very, I was That's very cool. happy when I came up with that idea, because um, when, especially when you have like martial dwarves, like you know, fighter and sword and shield dwarfs, they can get 
really high AC really quick. Like like level like twenty AC yes. by yeah, you know level three. Yeah, full plate and shields pretty easy. Yeah, plate armor dwarves with shields can get in beefy. So I was like, uh, his dwarf was also a very like slayer type dwarf uh, from like Warhammer, where like he's uh-huh. like, willing to get into combat and really you know take hits. So I'm like, well, I'm gonna lean into this really hard. Uh, another thing that I did that is um, not usual that I haven't done in many other campaigns was I had um, custom like skill trees and talents for for each character. I would have this system I would call hero points, where every session everyone got one hero point, and for every natural twenty they got another, and they could take these hero points and invest them into these special skills that usually had to go along with their background. Or um, you know, racial class and that kind of stuff that gave them extra skills. I would have right. it in like a spreadsheet. It would look like like something for uh, divinity, where like they were, they had a skill tree of like get this skill leads to this skill leads to this skill, and I we we did that, and that was something I put a right, lot of right. time into because I really wanted to to make it special. Yeah, do you feel like that worked well for fifth edition? It did not work well for fifth edition. It worked well for fourth edition. And I also didn't work well because I'm very bad at balancing. Uh-huh. I want to I want to give my players something fun to do. Like you know, it's not it's fu- it is fun to 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 have a really challenging encounter, but I also want them to be able to play like the role that their character wanted to play. Like like I gave some of them taunts when their characters wouldn't have taunts usually, you know, extra dodges or ranged attacks that they wouldn't have usually. So it just added like a, a few extra little fun bits to the campaign. As then I had to try to backload the difficulty onto the second half with like a few weak encounters, then one encounter that's really, really hard. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's a that feels like a problem that kind of every DM. I has just I find that the the CR system just doesn't always calculate what players have at their their fingertips. They can do a lot of things to to make high CR enemies kind of useless. Yeah, I mean part of that is the um there's that thing where like when you're designing an encounter if it's just one monster you're supposed to like half the xp because they can like wolf pack it i i've (laughs) i stopped doing uh xp per monster very early on into my campaigns because i just found it's it's uh hard to keep track of especially when like someone's going to miss a session and then you have to do the xp for you know everybody else differently so most of my campaigns we've just gone by milestones yeah um, I, I've grown to like that as well. It's just, um, I don't know, there's a lot of math that goes into XP that doesn't necessarily pay off because you're still going to try and like have them level at the end of every adventure. If you just say, okay, it's the end of the adventure, you guys level up, you get the same effect without any of the work. Necessarily, yeah. Especially when it's early levels and you can just hand them, you can just hand, kind of hand them out for little achievements and it not completely change how things play. Like later on, once you start handing people like really high level spells, right. it's it gets rough. Like uh, we never got above level twelve in our campaign because I didn't, I didn't want to push it mm-hmm. to like a, a really high level where they had these insane meteor storms and that kind of stuff. I kept it, every, like they were the most powerful, you know, people from essentially on that on that island by the end, but it, they were they still weren't higher than level twelve. I mean, it depends on like the power scaling, but like level twelve can be really powerful. I think the there was this 
article a long time ago by the Alexandrian that like level five is realistically about as powerful as someone can get in the real world. Um, so having that as your upper limit is already um, entering into there fantasy. There are dragons and wizards. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, I mean, it's a fantasy game. We can we can mm-hmm. have a little bit of fantasy as part of it. All right, I think that's uh that's all I have basically. Yeah. Well, do you have any uh dimming advice that you would want to give other people? Yeah, I think because I was listening to some of the episodes yesterday and I was really thinking about what I wanted to say for this. I was going to say for when you're DMing and you don't want to run a module, which I don't like modules. I know a lot of people who do, but I don't. Tell the story that you mm-hmm. want to tell and that the people at your table want to hear. So if there's a problem at your table with people being murder hobos or acting in a way that's not congruent with the tone of the story or the campaign world, try to change the story to make that behavior fit with the campaign. Like maybe have a villain story Mm -hmm. where everyone's evil alignment and does evil things or have a campaign specifically designed around a certain aspect and not try to um, accommodate everyone's play style and thing into the same homogenous story. Like, make it special. Don't feel like you have to be at the whims of your players all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, um, you're one of the players, too. You know, the the cussing is have fun is that that's a given. We're all playing a game here. We want to have fun and tell. I just think telling stories that you want to tell and not be not be a pro, a human processor for a video game. You're all relatively uh, agreed to join into. Yeah, yeah. Okay, you're saying that's how you sold it initially, but then you had to mm-hmm. change the milestone XP. Yeah. So they stopped just killing random people. Games that taught people's bad lessons. All right. Yeah. Yeah. That's good advice. Yeah, I think there's some very good lessons from video games and other ones that do not carry over well to and pe- other. And people who like play any kind of RPG or Skyrim or anything, and they think that D and D is just so beyond them because it requires books and math and paper. It's not. It's not that hard. It's not that intimidating. Anyone can do it if you have a spark of creativity and a desire to tell a story. Well, yeah. Thank you very much, Colonel. Um, Yeah, it was great talking with you. We're still looking for people to interview, so if you or someone you know might want to appear on the podcast, please let them know. Our web address is gocorral.com slash sts. G-O- C-O-R-R-A-L dot com slash S-T-S. Thank you.